0: Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last ten years we've been working in
1: all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So
0: this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End, with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland.
1: Thank you for downloading episode 27 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter, at Inside West End. Find our Facebook page, Inside the West End Podcast. And if you want to get in contact, you can email insidethewestend at gmail.com. Coming up, we speak to actor David Finn, as he prepares to play the lead role of Dewey in the West End version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's smash hit Broadway musical, School of Rock, which opens in London tomorrow a couple of things before we get into the chat if you do your online shopping with amazon then you can support our podcast by visiting insidethewestend.com first you just click on one of the amazon ads that brings you directly to their website and then you carry on shopping as normal and it'll cost you exactly the same as normal we just get a small kickback from amazon as a thank you also As you're probably already aware, I'm currently working away from London on the UK tour of The Commitments. You can check out thecommitmentstour.co.uk for more information on that if you'd like to come and see me. But going forward, our podcast will be released every two weeks. Now you'll notice something a little bit different about this episode in that it's just our lovely Rob Copeland doing the interview. We really didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to speak to this incredibly inspiring guy. David Finn is an actor who really struggled finding his place in the industry initially. He became very proactive and he went on to perform at some of the UK's most prestigious theatres including the Donmar Warehouse and the National Theatre. He featured in many of the most acclaimed British TV shows of the past decade before moving to L.A. to join the cast of the sitcom Undateable. He's also an all-around great guy, so we sent Rob backstage at the New London Theatre to speak with him.
2: This is David Finn and you're listening to Inside the West End.
0: David Finn, welcome to Inside the West End. Robert Copeland, thank you very much. We are backstage in your dressing room at the New London Theatre. Yes. Because you are the lead. I'm the bloody lead. In School of Rock, the musical. How's it going?
2: It's going well, and I I have to apologise for my room. I've got some minimal things in here, but I've yet to kind of assemble any of them. So it's looking a bit like a prison cell at the moment. So I'm sorry that I'm a bad host.
0: The standout thing... (sighs) As you walk in this room, yeah. is the incredibly sexy guitar, which is on stand over there. Yeah, that's for backstage practicing. I'm guessing. Do you mean the Gibson Les Paul? Yeah, I do. The which, sun, the cherry sunburst. I believe it is. Yeah, it?
2: yeah, it is. And it's uh, and it was just just to practice in my dressing room. That's just. There's another one about eight feet away backstage. And that's, but there's no point in me going out there all the way out there.
0: So you're in the middle of tech rehearsals for School of Rock. Yep. You're opening in a couple of weeks now. What's been happening today? What is a technical rehearsal for anyone listening? And what has your day involved as a result of that?
2: Um, so technical rehearsal uh, usually is kind of marrying all the aspects that aren't to do with the performance Um You know, So you're not worrying too much about the lines or the singing. So you're just kind of um, putting in the lighting, uh, some of the costumes and the sound. And it's for the technical departments to really kind of start doing their thing. Um, And we've got a lot of push and pull kind of furniture stuff in this as well. So that's kind of between scenes, there's a lot of bringing on and off furniture. And a lot of the time it's kids doing it. And we've got three teams of kids. So there's a lot of going
0: back and just trying to ensure that people don't smash into each other. Before we hear about School of Rock, we're going to take you back through the sands of time. Okay. If it was Wayne's World, there'd be that. Doodly
2: sound doodly doodly yeah. doodly Thank you.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Um, and I want to hear about the young David Finn. Uh, so I was born
2: in Ireland, um, and I moved, like many Irish people, moved to London in the mid '80s. My dad was a bricklayer. Um, Where were you born in Ireland? Cork. Okay. Cork City, by. Uh, and then we moved to Ireland, as did the rest of my extended family, and um, grew up in Northwest London, in a place called Hayes, which uh, which is which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and kind of at school, I was always just kind of um, I didn't really care too much about any of the work. I, I was I wasn't kind of like I wasn't I wasn't really bad but I was always kind of quite average in terms of academics. I was just more interested in messing around and playing football at lunchtime. Uh, had no idea about theatre or music or anything like that. School wasn't really that way inclined until year six when um, we got asked if any of us would like to audition for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolour Dreamcoat, which is kind of ironic, and no one put their hand up, so they forced everyone to audition for it. And... uh And lo, I got Joseph.
0: Did you? Yeah. I don't know why I'm surprised by that.
2: Dude, Close Every Door in 10 Year Old Boy Soprano is something to behold.
0: So, was that your first memory of performing in front of an audience and getting a positive reaction?
2: Yeah. It was kind of picking the best from a bad lot because it was (laughs) just a bunch of rough kids who just didn't give a shit. Um, So, and even through rehearsals, I just didn't care. I was like, why am I doing this? Like, they've kind of made me do this. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and then as soon as the audience were involved, then it was kind of game over. I was in. So
0: this is primary school? This is primary school. And then you go to secondary.
2: And then I go to secondary school and I give it up because obviously it's nerdy and uh, uh, just became purely messing around. Yeah. And it was kind of, my, my secondary school was a little bit rough. So the messing around was also, it was kind of trying to be funny was also a kind of, um, not a survival tactic. It wasn't that rough, but it was kind of, just so you don't get kind of pushed into that kind of group of kids that would get beaten up just walking down the hallway. So I think I was just funny enough to to kind of get away with things. And this is still Hayes? This is near Hayes, same same area, yeah, Ickenham. So we used to get the tube to and from school and, uh, you know, and used to kind of... Uh, mess around on the tube and set off fire extinguishers and it it was it was stupid it was so it was ridiculous
0: but it was fun it was really fun and did you was theatre in your life in any other way like going to see it
2: or no no not at all Uh, and then uh, so that was until I was 14 15 and then bizarrely my family decided to move to Ireland for a year and then I did some stuff Uh, we did Greece, and I played Danny Zuko I was much trimmer then um (laughs) But I did, I played Danny Zuko,
0: and, uh, and then I kind of got back into it a bit. Was that as a result of not having that kind of boisterous alpha male background you Hayes? Had? When you went to Ireland, did you feel like, well, I, I'm not, it doesn't matter, I don't...
2: Yeah, I know, it was kind of, having done it when I was 11 or 12, it was kind of in the back of my head. I was kind of like, yeah, I think I do like it, but I'm going to kind of ignore that voice, because it's not cool. And, uh, and I loved the film Grease. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll have some of that." And uh, yeah, I did. I did Greece and played Danny Zuko. I gave my Danny Zuko.
0: You eventually end up in Wales, though. Yeah. So your parents are Irish. Yep. You grow up to begin with in London. Yep. You go to Ireland for a year. Yep. And then you end up in Wales. Yes. How?
2: Uh, stepmother, who is from Ebervale in the Valleys, and she really wanted to go home. And uh, I think it was a kind of a compromise where we ended up uh, because it was kind of. Okay, we'll move to Wales, but we're not moving to the middle of nowhere. So it was Newport, Cardiff, or Swansea, and bizarrely they chose Newport, <laughs> <laughs> which is um, which is an interesting place. Um, and yeah, so then I I ended up in sixth form. I used to go from Newport to Cardiff every day to sixth form, and that's where I got really that's where I really got into theatre. Um, did Greece again, Calamity Jane, but it was kind of it wasn't like I want to do this for a living. It was like oh, this is a really good way to to meet girls and and kind of mess around yeah and then towards the end of sixth point was kind of like i I have no idea what i want to do and i was looking at ucas i was looking at kind of doing english or whatever at uni or i just didn't care and i just thought what's the most fun thing to do and i just thought that would be a fun that would be a fun career
0: your career now you've done loads of different styles of performance at that time, was it just a case of, this is what I enjoy and I'm good at, I'll Yeah, give that a go? It, yeah, it was, and
2: it was kind of, I was kind of a bit lost going into it, because I had no idea what to do. Like, my sixth form teacher, would, like there wasn't really a kind of a, a support into kind of what the good drama schools were and where to go, and so I took a year out and worked in an office and just kind of did more research, and then kind of applied to the, the, the kind of the more kind of well-known drama schools. I did. And at
0: this time, like, in terms of, like, when you're doing auditions for drama school, you have to source these pieces, you have to, which, looking back, your decisions, my decisions at the time were very uninformed. How, yeah. how did you know what to pick to suit you? Oh,
2: it was, I mean, I had no idea. I was doing all the wrong things. So I was going into auditions, doing a speech from uh, Richard Third, and, like, I was doing things like throwing a chair, and, like ripping off a necklace and throwing it on the floor and just really ridiculous things that you think oh yeah people that that's what people want when you're kind of 17 18 but in hindsight it was unbelievably gash. so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, yeah I, I it just kind of I, I don't know how I came across things I think I just borrowed I was I was living with a guy at the time who was at Welsh College and I just just scanned through his kind of Shakespeare book and I just picked a speech that seemed quite funny. And then the other one, I don't know how I found it. Just just random, uninformed, terrible stuff. I actually think one of the reasons I got into Weber Douglas, which is where I ended up at drama school, was because I auditioned for the September intake, but Weber also had an April intake, but it was March. And I think they'd had someone drop out. And I think they were just like, we need to fill this space. And I got a letter three or four days after I auditioned. They were like, Okay, can you start in a, in three weeks or a month? And I was so desperate to kind of just go to one of the good drama schools. I was like, yep, yeah, okay, I'll make it work. And I was working in... I was such a charlatan. I was, I was on the phone to independent financial advisors providing quotes for annuities all day, every day.
0: Even that sentence has made me feel sad.
2: You you completely disengaged. <laughs> like, like, the 10... I still remember it. The 10.45am... Like... I'm going to walk to the vending machine and get a Kit Kat Chunky was that was literally the highlight of the morning like I used to look forward to that I used to get in at 9 I'd be like okay it's only an hour and 45 until I go and get a Kit Kat Chunky needless to say I got really fat I got I actually got to 19 stone wow just because it was so depressing yeah um, and then it kind of I didn't I didn't kind of start auditioning for drama schools until the February, March so I had 6-7 months of just kind of gorging and getting fat and being depressed and working in this office that I hated um, and just Just kind of... I would do things like... (laughs) The independent financial advisors would ask me a question. And if I didn't know the answer, I'd guess it. And they'd know that I was guessing. And they'd be like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I'd just hang up. (laughs) i just hang up. Because I didn't care. Like, I just didn't care. And I always used to get pulled into like the boss's office and just like, David, it's not good enough. And I'd be like, I'm really... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then I'd just... I'd literally walk out and I'd do it again. Because... I had no... I was like, why why, why am I here?
0: Yeah. Um, you graduated in 2005. Yeah. And we worked together in a workshop of a friend's musical in 2007. Yeah. Whilst we were working together... Yeah. You struck me as someone who was talented but frustrated that you weren't... You weren't... Uh, you weren't getting, doing what you'd like to be doing. Yeah. And I heard you saying this to an older actor in the cast asking him for advice. And you, said, you had a conversation with him saying that I would like to work at the National, the Royal Court, the Donmar, those kind of jobs. And I'm not, I've never even had an audition for them. And it's re- how, how do I change that? Since then, since I heard you say that in a dressing room, you have achieved lots of those things and much more. Your career changed a huge amount after that. Did you instigate that or was it luck? Do you know what? That's that's amazing that you remember that.
2: And that's really interesting because my conversation with that older actor, it was a guy called Pete Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that actually changed everything. Um, he said, what else do you like to do? And I said, oh, I wouldn't mind writing comedy. And he said, write comedy. And he said, I'll put you in touch with someone. And he put me in touch with this guy called Eddie Green, who used to like making short films and stuff, and I I think he still does. But um, we kind of did a couple of short films, and I started writing. And what that did, it kind of... It took away the desperation of audition rooms. I think a lot of it was to do with that. It was kind of... It was a self-sabotage thing. I'd, I'd go into auditions, and I'd be so desperate for the job. Like, I remember... My first TV audition was for Rome. It was for one of the leads in Rome. And I got a recall, got a recall, got a recall, and got down to like the last two or three. And I was so desperate. I must have just stunk. It must have just been like oozing out of me. But mm-hmm. then I'd be going in against people who had, had a few TV credits under their belts. And they kind of, obviously that it would go to them. So that conversation did change things. And I started writing comedy. And now I'm still writing comedy. But... Yeah, so I was, I was then going into things so much more confident. And if, I was like, if I don't get, get this, it doesn't matter because I'm filming a short film that I wrote next weekend. And it was, it was just about
0: staying creatively interested in things. Do you think that's taught at drama school? No. Because it struck me that I've learned that over the time since graduating. Yeah. And I feel like it's such an important thing for people to know. You can't rely on someone offering you a job. Yeah. You need to... Find your own path,
2: and I think I think things have even changed since then because I mean that was what 2007, so th- things have changed so much since then. In that, obviously YouTube was around then, but anyone can get anything on air now. It's just it, it, it's so easy now to to get your stuff out there, and I think I think there's there's now no excuse to to be complacent, and there's no excuse to kind of go oh my agent doesn't phone me and my agent hasn't got me an audition for four weeks. So what? go and do something that that conversation it may it pushed me to do something and and that kind of changed things for me it kind of not that it opened doors immediately but it just kind of changed my mindset
0: one of the things i've noticed with your career is that um, you've been quite strategic over things that you uh, the decisions you've made as an actor do you have a plan of things you want to do and when you turn down a big job opportunity or a big audition which could offer certain things, but isn't quite the path you want to take. Yeah. Do you have that fear of God in you? It's, it's such an interesting
2: question, and it's there's there's so many kind of different ways to answer it. In terms of being strategic, it was always, don't do work that doesn't interest me. And I, I mean, that, that kind of comes out in a kind of, it could almost sound snobbish, but the idea of going on tour or being in the West End for three or four years on a show that I didn't love for me I just I just couldn't do it and I know people do do that and I know people love that way of life and and it definitely helps with kind of family life and stability and and things like that but I get I get very restless very quickly um so my plan was always to to kind of do work that I love but my the the kind of the long-term plan was always to have a variety of work um, and the plans change, like, like going back to that conversation that you mentioned a minute ago with that, with, with Pete, it kind of now the kind of the long term goal is is to kind of make my own TV shows and to to write them because I've been writing. I mean, you know, my writing partner, Drew, and we've been writing for four or five years and we're selling scripts now. We're selling scripts to production companies and it's it's a long, hard process, but it's to write and to be in the TV shows that I write is 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 definitely one of the long-time goals and then every now and then something comes up that gets in the way of that and I don't mean stops that process but for example this school of rock it's kind of like this comes up and it's like of course I'll do that like I'd be insane not to do it um and you know to to sell and make your own tv shows it's a lot of it is kind of is all that kind of nonsense stuff like profile and like is the, are they a name or, or whatever? And doing something like School of Rock, it doesn't impede that thing. It just it kind of adds to the it adds to the kind of the picture that you're you're bringing to the situation because it's kind of like oh that's the guy that plays the lead in School of Rock oh well let's meet them. So things like this can only help towards the, to to those kind of goals. And I think I've wandered off
0: the point. Not too, not too. <laughs> missed the, the initial question, but... Um, My original question was, have you met Angeloid Webber? But I'll let, you, I'll let you know, it wasn't really... Not yet, no, we still haven't met. Yeah, yeah no, of course you have, yeah. Um, so, TV, you have knocked down this door and got into it. You ended up moving to LA to appear in Undateable, the sitcom. Yeah. Auditions for television are totally different to theatre. Yeah. How did you... Become comfortable in that environment. Was it just a case of your confidence growing as a result of this writing you've spoken about, or how did you <coughs> change your mentality so that you started getting these jobs? Um, it was it was writing stuff
2: because you start to you start to figure out ways to mine the text for for fun kind of funny moments. Um, but it was also it was also another kind of it was another kind of getting off my ass and trying to hustle thing. I did a thing called the sitcom trials and it later got changed to the name got changed to the sitcom mission. And that was these two guys, uh, Simon Wright and Declan Hill. And they, they'd get kind of a company of actors and it was a, it was a sitcom competition for new writers and this company of actors would get up and they'd perform 15 minute excerpts from these sitcoms. And, um, I did, I did one, and then they asked me to come back and do another one, and then I ended up doing four or five in the first year. And it was just it was it was unpaid and it, it wasn't technically work, but I was going to a rehearsal every night and I was working on scripts written by these great writers, and it was kind of it, it was like going to it was kind of like, oh, this is if this if I was getting paid for this, this is the job that I'd want. Mm. Um so, and it was two years of constantly looking at these scripts and working on these scripts and rehearsing these scripts. And I had never had that opportunity before to kind of get into kind of TV dialogue and and character and, and that kind of thing. So that, so that kind of, that gave me so much confidence. And then both years we got to the final and the second year I directed one and we won the competition and we took that to Edinburgh. Um, And since then, that's kind of when I started to get TV work. And I mean, I did one episode in Inbetweeners and it was three or four scenes. And I was just so lucky that The Inbetweeners was the hit it was because it didn't get me work. But the fact that I had The Inbetweeners on my CV, I I think made it easier to get seen for other comedies. And then I just started to get seen for more things. Um, But it's it's, it's actually interesting because... My principal at Weber Douglas said to me on the last night of the last show, because he could see that I was frustrated because I, I actually left with no agent. I was I was kind of left on that kind of pile of actors that didn't have one. So I was quite frustrated at the end. And he said, don't worry. He said, you're not going to work through your 20s. And then when you get to your late 20s, you're going to start working. Um, and he was so confident in that. And the next time I saw him was just after the in and He looked at me and he was like, I told you, didn't I? And he remembered that conversation. But it, I, I just thought that was interesting. I think, I think it was a part of what I was doing around that time. But I just think also it kind of took time to grow into my, into my skin. And I think it was something to do with kind of being my type of casting. Maybe it was kind of the young chubby face guy thing didn't work so well until you get a little bit older. And it starts moving into that kind of um, Nick Frost kind of territory where there's just much more so many more parts and and much more material
1: hope you're enjoying the conversation stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment we just want to remind you that it costs us money to make this podcast and give it to you for free another way to support us is by visiting insidethewestend.com and making a contribution by clicking on the donate button Thank you to everyone who's donated this week, especially Sorkis or Sorsha Xworthy, who followed up her donation with the most inspiring email for both me and Rob about how listening to our show has affected her. When we get an email like that, it really motivates us to keep putting the work in um, for you all. So thank you so much for that. If this is your first time to listen to the show, then check out our back catalogue of episodes and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. That way, each episode will just appear on your device as soon as we release it for free. Now, back to the chat with David Finn.
0: So you do all of these kind of high-profile television jobs, you know, in-betweeners, Inbetweeners, uh, Parts in Game of Thrones, uh, many other things, Sherlock... Uh, Clang. Doctor Clang. Who. Clang. Clang. They're clanging all over the place, yeah. right? But then you get cast, as I said a minute ago, in this sitcom in LA. Oh, yeah. So you have to relocate to yep. LA. Yep. What was that transition like for both work and family life? For work, I, I kind of got swept up in the whole thing.
2: I went into it a little bit blind. I didn't know when I was getting into it that... A, they sign you up for seven years. And B, I didn't even know it was a multicam when I auditioned for
0: it. What does that mean for anyone?
2: Listening? Sorry, a multicam is when it's filmed in a studio in front of a live audience. Um, which is fine. And some of the greatest sitcoms of all time are multicams. Friends and Cheers and Frasier. All those great sitcoms are, are multicam. But it perhaps would have influenced my decision in going for it. But luckily... My wife and I loved LA when we got there and moving my wife to LA was kind of the first year we were there was, it was literally like a holiday because, you know, the money's good on the show and, and we, you know, we had a nice time and we got to eat out and we got to travel to all these nice places. So in terms of family life, it was great, but there were, I mean, the the show was cool, but there were frustrations in that kind of some weeks you'd get three or four lines and you just, you just feel a bit kind of redundant on the show. And then some weeks you'd get some amazing material and it was great. But that kind of that constant coming into a read through kind of just worrying that am I just going to be stood by, am I going to be Gunther this week again? (laughs) (laughs) Essentially. So, um, but it was kind of, it was a very cool show. I learned so much from the guys that I worked with because there was a lot of comedians on the show. What they bring to the table is just fearlessness. And we, we, we got encouraged to do a lot of improv and The first three or four weeks, I was just kind of a bit paralysed with fear because they were all so quick. And then I was just like, I just have to go with it. I just have to kind of join in. And I just started jumping in and I I just learned so much from them. Just so quick and so fast and just so free with it. Like they they don't have those kind of hang-ups that we get as actors. You know, we go through training and I think you train at drama school and it can, it can. Obviously, it teaches you these amazing things. But sometimes it also kind of makes you get in your own head a bit. And it, it can you you can be your own worst enemy in that respect. And you're like, oh, is the voice connecting? And it's like sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just gotta be free and loose and just kind of go with it. And and they really taught me that and they really but seeing it work live in front of an audience and having because you don't you don't usually get the the licence to improv on TV. Um did that open up doors to other things? Absolutely, yeah. And and as a result, we kind of got american representation for our writing out there and um and now drew and i go pitch in la uh, writing projects out there as well so it's definitely helped in that respect and i've also i've also done kind of a couple of independent films where i've kind of played the lead and it's like that those opportunities don't really come to me all that often
0: um is the working actor's life in la the dream that some actors picture it being or does it depend on the circumstance? Uh, yeah, I think it does. It does depend on the circumstance because if you're doing, say, a studio
2: comedy, the days are so short, and it can, and you know, it can, it can make you lazy and complacent and. and you know you're kind of like oh you know oh, the food on crafty table is really crap today and it's like who gives a shit there's free food everywhere like why do you care <laughs> and also like working on a dateable with those guys going into my audition for this for School of Rock I was way more free and I had so much more confidence to ad-lib and improv and, and some of those moments I think were some of the things that maybe helped me get the job because I think it showed a kind of the characters kind of a bit unpredictable anyway so I think it was nice to bring some of that to the table in the audition School of Rock. For show. We're here.
0: Yep. You're very close to opening. Yeah. You're the lead, as I said earlier. Is there pressure?
2: I think the pressure comes from the magnitude of the part in that this, I kind of leave the stage for about 10 minutes for the whole show. A question that I get a lot is like, what's it like being, you know, following Jack Black and following Alex Brightman? And it's kind of like, I, I don't think that stuff really matters, I think I think it's kind of taking the energy and passion that he had and that Alex Brightman had on Broadway and, and harnessing their energy and just doing my own thing with it but in terms of kind of the process like I'm not really I haven't really felt pressure like Andrew Lloyd Webber doesn't come in with Julian Fellows and sit and kind of stare at us they just, they trust Lawrence and I feel that Lawrence trusts me and trusts the cast and it's been a, a, a joy because
0: I didn't realise how much I'd be allowed to play with it. Did that come up? This is going to be freer than your average stand under the spot that light because that's what the last person did. Yeah, musical. I think so because I'd do, like sometimes you do things in auditions that like isn't in the script and
2: like they'd shake their heads and they'd kind of, they'd get pissed off with that. Whereas I'd, I'd try things in the room that were kind of way off the script or whatever and, and they'd laugh and they, they were engaged and, and, uh, and, and they went with it. Um,
0: did you have to audition in front of Andrew?
2: Yeah, How yeah. Was that? Not not the first time. So I first met for it in LA, and then I got a call back, and I had to go to New York, and that was the first time I met Andrew and Lawrence. And that was a terrible audition. I I was really bad in that audition. I think because it was not that it's an excuse, but it was it was like ten o'clock in New York the audition. So I and it was like so that would have been seven o'clock in LA time. So it was and I'd only had a... I only travelled over the day before, so. And the song that I had to sing was Mount Rock, which is bloody high. And I was really nervous because I was meeting the Lord for the first time. Um, And I just botched it. And I I had a singing lesson just before it from like 9 till 9.30am. And I was working on the technique and the technique was all there. And then as soon as I got in the audition, it just all went out the window. And I was just like, just screaming these horrible notes. And it just, it was, it was so bad. But then it kind of transpired that undateable
0: was going again so I wouldn't have been able to do it anyway so this is a massive role you're on stage for the whole the whole gig 10 minutes off uh, massive sing you're playing guitar uh, yeah I had to the guitar thing was a little bit terrifying
2: so I went straight into guitar lessons as soon as I could and I was going kind of three days a week and then playing as much as I could um, but if you asked me to play anything outside the show I'd my, my head would explode. And then I had some Skype sessions with um, Fiona McDougall, the the singer coach on the show. And she sent me loads of exercises just to kind of start getting up into that heady range, those A's and B's
0: at the top. And does it still play on your head? Like, uh, uh, top Western leading men who do musicals all the time, Mm -hmm. when they get cast in a role like this, would panic about the fact it it can take over your life, your vocal health. Uh, not drinking alcohol, a lot of actors do, or dairy products, all that yeah. stuff steaming is this playing on your head yeah, it is and it's I'm not worrying too much about it though, but i'm
2: for the most part I'm doing everything by the book, like I'm not boozing anymore. I had a couple last weekend, but f- from last weekend onwards i haven't i'm not I'm not gonna at least until press night and I'm not I've cut right down on dairy on chocolate on I mean sugar I'm eating pineapple to it's got whatever in it that helps the voice Um, I'm steaming two three times a day you know all those all those things warming up and warming down yeah and it does it does take over your life because I love I love a booze
0: I do love a booze I mean you know that I do know that it's difficult to imagine another role appearing which is as uh high profile and challenging which suits you so perfectly
2: yeah when when Mormon came up i i I was desperate to do Mormon. you went in for it, I did go in for it yeah i they they I sent the tape from London and they flew me over
0: to go in to replace Josh Gad, but alas, it didn't work out, so yeah, this is a massive high massive high of the career um one of the things we like to chat to performers about. And actually, anyone working in the industry is what have been the hardest moments of their career. Um, there's certain
2: jobs that when you when you go for them, like when I was in for Mormon, uh, and you don't get them, it can take a while to kind of get over it because you know there's it's it's kind of you, you get into this battle with yourself where it's kind of like okay, don't 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 start spending the money, and I don't mean literally spending the money, but you know don't start imagining whatever moving to new york to do mormon or whatever and it but you can't help it because you're an actor and you're a dreamer and and all these things and, and you start you start investing in it slowly and you're trying not to but you do and you get another call back and you're closer and closer and closer and like i remember the first time i listened to mormon I, I, I almost welled up I was like oh my god it's so utterly brilliant it's the best thing I've ever heard so you do you, you get you get so emotionally invested in in some of these jobs and it's all you know it can it can be anything it can be anything that you want to do it could be a panto or whatever and then when you're so close and then the no comes it 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 can be it can be heartbreaking
0: have you ever wanted to leave the industry yeah
2: no. I've al- I've always been so bullheaded. And I don't know where I get that from. I've always been so kind of like there's no other way. Even when like I remember we shared a flat with these people and there was a girl that we lived with who was she was a she was a musical theater actress and she was working at the time and I hadn't worked for like 2 years or something ridiculous. And she said to my wife, uh maybe David should start thinking about something else. And I was just like Fuck you. Maybe you should think about doing something else. But there was there was never doubt—not doubt, but there was never any kind of there was never any doubt that I wanted to do anything else. Um, the writing thing has cropped up, and that's absolutely a thing
0: that I want to do with it. But there was there was no plan B. You must have had many encounters with agents. What to you makes a good agent?
2: Um. I think I think there's I think it's got to be quite delicate with agents because you don't want to become best friends because that can only lead to disaster. You I think you you have to keep it professional. Um so I think they've got to be able to be approachable and you can tell them anything to do with your not just your career but you know sometimes like when doing this job I had to talk to my agent about relocating with my wife and how important those things were and um, I might have to give up my house in LA and and all these things and you have to be able to talk to them about those things without becoming best friends and I think there's a fine line and I think I think the better agents know how to do that and how to handle that Um, I also think a good agent doesn't ever really switch off and that's I mean that's also having been in LA where everyone is just hustling all the time like the agent's assistants over there they just during pilot season they'll literally go into the office at 6am and read scripts until the phones start ringing and they'll go home at midnight it's crazy
0: has that insight into LA like that hard working I mean I'm not suggesting it, it doesn't exist in London but has it changed your view of your work ethic yeah yeah If 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 I'm not
2: if I'm not working on an audition or something that I'm doing like a for example this or a, another acting job i will get up and i will treat the day like an office day and write because having worked with people out there and, and seen how hard people work out there just to get in the room um with the writing i yeah I, I try and treat each day like an office day and write as much as i can and if it's not writing then it's you close the door and you're reading a book about uh, script writing or you're you're researching something that you're doing or i read a great book that stephen king wrote about his process in writing and he he shuts the door and if the door's shut everyone has to leave him alone and he's in the room and he works from this time to this time every day and i think i think it's good to have that discipline and if you come to a if you come to a point where you run out of things to write or if you've got writer's block or whatever do something else that's
0: still to do with that part of your work We have something that we ask everyone we interview, and you can take this question however you like. Okay. Is show business a game that you need to learn how to play?
2: Yes. I, 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 I think I answered that without thinking, and I think I just went with my gut instinct there. Yeah, I think it is.
0: And what is the game?
2: I think it's trying to take as much control of your own career as you can and doing a job that you don't really want to do while you're waiting for that phone to go... I I I think I think can only lead to negative things, and it can lead to a negative space where you're you're not kind of happy with what you're doing. And I think I think the game is is to try and take as much control as you can. And sometimes it's really difficult to do that. But meet people like you and I know actors that just they just never stop. They never stop. They just kind of if they're not doing a show in the West End, then they'll go and do a show at. Somewhere else where they'll meet someone, and networking—such a gross word—but it's it's part and parcel of the job. And work
0: breeds work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I and I don't mean like go to networking events with a handful of cards because that's just that's grim. But like, if you meet someone and you connect with them, and and they're on the same page as you, for example, with comedy or with theatre or whatever, go for a coffee. Like, why not? Go for a coffee instead of sitting and watching a box set because you never know what's going to come out of that.
0: Uh, what advice would you give to anyone who wants to work inside the West End?
2: Um, be clear on what you want to do. Don't just go, I want to be an actor. You know, Do you just want to pay the bills with acting? In which case, just take any acting job that comes. But I think be clear... With, with the stuff that's really going to get you going and try and put your energy into that because you know you, you could end up doing you could end up doing the wrong thing I mean I suppose that's in terms of in terms of performers also I mean it's so simple but just don't be a dick <laughs> I mean there, there are some dicks out there and you do eat them mm. you know and I Luckily, I haven't met one in this in this cast, which is which is funny because they say that if you don't know who it is, then
0: it, it could be you. It could be you. Yeah. Um. You've been in since ten am. Yeah. It's seven pm. You're here till nine forty five. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. For speaking to me. What fun. Yeah. Good evening, mate, oh. Would you please stand by. Two starts evening's tech session. We are starting from the top of the back two again. Doing time to play with Team Electric.
1: I mean, each week we say thank you for finding the time. But David really did somehow find time and squeeze us in for that interview. As you could hear there, it was during his break for technical rehearsals, which are long, long old days. But what a story. David, thank you. And very best wishes to you and everyone at School of Rock for the press night tomorrow. Uh, Rob will be there representing Inside the West End podcast. Meanwhile, I'll be in the lovely land of Stoke with the commitments. Um, Do get along to see David if you can Get your hands on a ticket for School of Rock And you can check out at Inside West End On Twitter to find out who's going to be Our next guest On our next episode in two weeks In the meanwhile Thanks for listening